Thank you, Kristen. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would to turn to the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And I want us to notice an event that took place in the life of Moses and the children of Israel. It's an event that if you've ever watched Cecil B. DeMille's uh, Ten Commandments, you've seen. But I want us to notice some things about that as we uh, look at this particular chapter. Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to begin noticing this morning uh, verse 26. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 26. And if you would, let's go ahead and stand out of reverence and respect for God's holy and inspired word. 26th verse of chapter 32. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you've written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of the book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron made. Let's once again look to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before your presence today, and we thank you that you know what we're like. Father, you know that we're sinful. You know that we're weak. Lord, I'm thankful that your word says that you know that what we're like, that that we're just people with a depraved nature. But Father, I'm also grateful that you forgive sin. And Father, we're thankful that Jesus went to the cross so that our sin could be forgiven. And I just pray now that your Holy Spirit would move throughout this auditorium to deal, to convict, to draw. And Father, I just pray there'd be a spirit of revival here today as you forgive and as you cleanse. May there be a spirit of praise here today, Father, as you reach out and touch that person that's lost and bring them to a saving relationship with Christ. Father, now I just pray that you would anoint this service. I pray, Father, that you would 
do what only you can do and maybe be better people because we've come into your house today. For it's in Jesus' name. Israel in the days of the Exodus was a very blessed and a very privileged people. For one thing, they were blessed to have a prophet in their midst by the name of Moses. Of all of the men that had ever lived in the Bible, I mean, Moses was everything that you would want in a leader. He was everything you would want in a prophet. Think about what would be important to us as we think about a spiritual leader, and you would find that in Moses. Moses was a man who had a deep personal relationship with God. The Bible says that Moses was able to talk to God face to face. And not only did Moses talk with God, God spoke to Moses. Here was a man that because of his deep personal relationship with God, he was able to minister out of the overflow of his life. Moses was not a professional prophet. Moses was just a man that had a deep, abiding relationship with God. And out of that, he was able to bless the people of God. Moses was also a man who loved the people he ministered to. We've just read how that that after Israel sinned, Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, now look, if, if, if my being blotted out of the book will save Israel, I'm willing to do it. Kind of reminds you of the Apostle Paul, doesn't it, when he began to pray for, for Israel in his day. He said, Lord, if my going to hell will, will mean the salvation of the children of Israel, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Folks, that's great love, isn't it? How many of us would say today, Lord, if the salvation of Leveland meant that I would go to hell, I would gladly go to hell. A lot of us would say, Lord, some of those folks deserve it. Let them do it. Moses was different. He had a great love for the people of God. But Moses' love for Israel didn't stop him from sharing the message of God. Even though Moses loved Israel, he wasn't afraid of offending them because he knew that speaking the word of God, sharing the message of God was what they needed. Man, they were privileged to have a man like Moses to be their leader. They were also privileged to have a, a God and to be able to see God's power. Now, now it was, wouldn't it have been a marvelous thing to live in the days of the Exodus? For one thing, they saw the power of God exhibited in all of those plagues that allowed them to be dismissed from Egypt. Wouldn't it have been marvelous to see how God plagued Egypt? How that there was darkness for three days. How, how that God turned the water into blood how that God sent the flies and the murrain and the frogs and, and how God just, just allowed that great hail to come and destroy all of the crops of Israel. And all this was going on while Israel was spared in the land of Goshen. Can you imagine what it must have been like to see the, the plagues that literally broke the will of Pharaoh and allowed Israel to go free? Not only did they get to see that, but they got to experience firsthand crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. Can you imagine what it must have looked like when they got to the Red Sea and and Moses said, go on through, and the priest stepped into the water and the Red Sea just split in two, and they were able to walk through on dry ground. 
Can you imagine what that must have looked like? And then as they got to the other side, and here come the armies of Egypt after them, and the Lord just allowed the water to come back down and destroy the Egyptian army. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Folks, that would have been enough to make a Baptist shout, wouldn't it? To see that great and mighty miracle. And you know, when you talk to Israel... They would have had no proof. They would have needed no proof to believe that God was a miracle-working God. I mean, they'd seen it. What a privilege. And then they were also blessed to hear the voice of God. Israel came up to Mount Sinai, you remember, and when they got to Mount Sinai, the Bible says that God spoke to them with a voice like the sound of a trumpet, and He shared with them His commands. Now, I've often wondered what the voice of God sounded like. Have you? I wonder if it was a deep voice. Or I wonder if it was a kind of a high voice. What did the sound of God's voice sound like? One thing we do know, as God began to share His commandments with that audible voice, the Bible says that they were scared to death. And they said, Moses, you go up and talk to God. If we hear His voice again, we're going to die. They were privileged to hear the voice of God. Now, I realize that God still speaks to us today through His Word. And God still speaks to us today through the still, small voice of His Spirit. And those of you that have been saved by God's grace, you know what it's like to to experience as God ministers to your heart and speaks to your heart and, and how you responded to Him and received Him as Savior. But can you imagine what it was like to hear that awe-inspiring, audible voice of God. Folks, they were blessed. They were privileged. And those blessings <clears throat> led Israel to make a commitment to God. After they heard the commandments of God, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8, they said this to Moses. They said, all that the Lord has told us to do, we will do. Now, they made a commitment to God there, didn't they? I mean, it was a public commitment to God. Moses, we've heard the voice of God. Moses, we've seen the power of God. Moses, that's the God we want, and we'll do whatever He tells us to do. And did you realize that when we got saved, we kind of made that same commitment to God? You know, when we got saved, we saw God's goodness in giving Jesus Christ to die for our sins. When we were saved, it was the goodness of God that led us to repentance. When we realized that we were lost and headed for a devil's hell, and we realized that Jesus stepped out of eternity and gave His life at the cross to cover our sins and to forgive us of our sin. And when we turned to Jesus under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we received His forgiveness and we received His salvation. But folks, listen, we not only received Jesus as Savior, we also received Him as Lord. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of what? The Lord shall be saved. And by receiving Jesus as our Lord, we were basically saying to God, God, I'm yours for you to use as you see fit. Because when we receive Jesus as our Lord, the Bible says that we were bought with a price. We're not our own now. We belong to Him. And we are His to use as He sees fit. But in chapter 32, 
the people that had committed themselves and given themselves to the Lord, we see these people committed to sin. Now notice what they did. Moses went back up to the mountain and he was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that 40 days and 40 nights, God was giving him all of the commandments. He was giving him the instruction on how to make the tabernacle. He was giving him instruction on worship. But he was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I want to ask you a question. When the pastor's away, how many folks stay at home? <laughs> it's not a trick question, is it? What's really bad is when the pastor's away and a whole bunch of folks come to church. I mean, that, that says something to the pastor, right? But when the pastor was away here in Israel, they turned to Aaron and said, you know, Moses is gone. We hadn't seen him. We don't think he's coming back. You know, he went up into that mountain and boy, we heard the voice of God. And I bet Moses messed up. And I bet God killed him. But we need something to worship Moses. So, so Moses said, well, take off all of your earrings and all of your jewelry. And Moses fashioned a golden calf. And when he presented the golden calf to Israel, they said, they said, man, look, this is what's delivered us. This is what's brought us out of Egypt. Idolatry. And not only did they turn to an idol and began to worship it, but they had a drunken orgy that mimicked how the heathen nations would celebrate as well. And Moses came off the mountaintop at about that time. Now, as they were coming off the mountaintop, you remember what Joshua said to Moses? Joshua said, Moses, I hear the sound of war in the camp. And Moses said, no, it's not the sound of war. It's the sound of a, of a party. You know, when I was with the sheriff's department, every once in a while we would get called out to a house with loud noise. Sometimes it sounded like war, but it was just a rock party. That was a joke bad when you have to explain your jokes, isn't it? Yeah. And Moses had to tell Joshua, Joshua, God didn't save Israel to do this. This wasn't the reason he saved them. God didn't bring Israel out of Egypt so they could have a drunken party and be like the other nations. No, God saved Israel so they could be different so they could reflect His holy nature. And folks, the same thing is true for us today. When God saved us, He didn't save us just so we could be happy. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, God saved us so we can be happy and wealthy and wise. No, God didn't save us to be happy. God saved us to be holy. God saved us to be like Him. That's why the Apostle Peter would write in the book of Peter and say, God has said, be holy even as I am holy. That's why the Apostle Paul would say, come out and be a part separate from the heathen. Be different from them. Don't be unequally yoked together. God has called us as a church, dear friends, to be holy, to be separated, to be like God. But you know what the truth is? The truth is, is that we sin too, don't we? Now, hopefully, you don't have a golden calf at your house that you light a candle to every night. And hopefully, we, we don't sin like this and are involved in drunken parties and drunken orgies. I hope not. If you are, the altar is open right now. Don't wait to the invitation. 
But our sin may be more like Moses's. How many of us lose our tempers? Kristen, you sent an email to me that really convicted me this week of the guy that had road rage. Any of y'all like me? And we were going the other night to, to, to Lifeway and a car cut me off and I started to fuss and Becky had to get all over me and, and said, you know, that guy, you, you, you don't need to be, I'm not mad. Maybe you're like Moses. Maybe you've got a temper and you lose it. And the trouble is you find it again. That may be your sin. Or, or, or maybe we're like... Israel at Kadesh that we just don't believe God. God told them, I go on in and take this land. I'm going to give it to you. And they said, no, Lord, we can't. And, and I'm persuaded that this may be one of the biggest sins we have in church. We come to church. And how many of us, when we come to church, have the anticipation of believing God's going to do something? Dear friends, we ought to come. Anything not of faith is sin. And maybe this is the greatest sin of the church is that we just don't expect God to do anything in our lives or in our church. Or maybe our sin is that we're not bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. How many of you have a problem with your thought life? Uh, yeah, we some, some are having a problem with your thought life right now. Just staying awake, amen? Or maybe it's the thought life of thinking evil of people. Or, or maybe it's a thought life of being discouraged all the time. The Bible says we're to bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Well, folks, whatever it is, God takes sin seriously. Now, now for Israel here, you know what God was fixing to do for them? God came to Moses and said, Moses, step out of the way. Moses, you're a man after my own heart. You're my prophet. You just step out of the way because I'm going to destroy that bunch of heathenistic folks and I'm going to create a nation unto you. Was the sin of the golden calf and their, and, their, and their drunken party, was it serious to God? Absolutely it was. We would maybe not consider that serious today, but it was serious to God. As a matter of fact, he was going to destroy Israel. And folks, God still deals with the sins of his people today. The Bible says, whom the Father loves, he chastens and he scourges every son. Now, how, how does God deal with us when we sin against him today? Well, one thing he may do is he may just remove the joy of our salvation. I mean, how many Christian people do you know today go around with a joyful heart? How, I mean, I, I, one of the things I do, and, and Mike and Linda saw me yesterday, my favorite pastime at Walmart is to sit on the bench and wait for Becky. And, and, and while I'm sitting on that bench, I, I like to watch people's faces. Have you ever watched folks when they go to, I don't know why people go to Walmart, they're so unhappy about being there. Come on, isn't that true? How many people do you see walk into Walmart? Oh, I'm just so glad to be here. Most of them walk in. And they're angry, and they're mad, and they're slapping their kids around. I mean, you know, I just... We don't live in a happy world. And one of the reasons I think Christians may not be as joyful as we need to be is because God has removed the joy of our salvation because there's an area of our life that He wants us to get right with Him. 
Now, that may be just a little thing. Somebody says, well, that's not too bad. But yes, it is because God wants believers to be joyful, filled with the fruit of the Spirit. God may take away the, the, the joy of our salvation. God can go so far as to allow folks to be shamed publicly, caught in their sin. Now, now, there's some folks here, you may be secretly doing some things and thinking, well, I've gotten away with it. Folks, let me share something with you. The Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. And eventually, if you continue in that pattern of secret sin, God has a way of making it public to where everyone knows about it. And the shame of being exposed is one of the ways that God disciplines a believer. Come on. God can not only do that. God can allow a person to live with guilt. Did you know guilt can eat you up? For the year that David had, uh, was unrepentant, the Bible says that his bones grew old. He couldn't sleep at night. He would go out in life and, and wonder about what's, what everybody knows. That's guilt, folks. And God can allow that guilt to eat us up. But whatever God does, you know, why does God allow that? He is trying to get us to come back to Him. That's His way of getting us to come back to Him. We want the joy of the Lord? Got to come back to me. You don't want to be shamed publicly? Come back to me. You want to get rid of the guilt? Come back to me. It's His way of saying, I love you. Come back to me. Because God does take a believer's sin seriously. And as God dealt with Israel's sin, I just want you to notice two things. First of all, Israel was confronted with a choice. Moses came off the mountaintop, and by the way, folks, Moses had a temper, okay? You don't think so? He got mad when he saw what was going on. Have any of you folks ever gotten mad and just slammed your hat down on the floor? Hmm? Any of you folks ever got mad and thrown whatever was in your hand against the wall? My brother-in-law, bless his heart, loved the Dallas Cowboys. And we were there one day, and Dallas pulled a boneheaded play, and he was eating lunch, and he threw his glass up against the wall. I sure was glad I wasn't in the way. I watched Permian play one night and lose, and I threw my hat on the floor and jumped up and down on it. You know what Moses did when he saw what was going on? He had the two tables of God, and he slammed them into the ground and broke them. Now, you know how I know that wasn't God's will for him to do it? Because when it was all over with, God said, Moses, you come back up here, but before you come, you make yourself two tables of stone so I can write on. God had made the first ones. Moses, you broke those, buddy. Shouldn't have done that, so you make them this time. But then he gave them a choice. He broke them. He saw what was going on and he said, Folks, listen, those of you that are on the Lord's side, you get over here right now. And the Levites began to move. He gave them a choice. He confronted them and gave them a choice. And you know, we can be confronted by sin in a service like this. We can be even disciplined with God over whatever that sin is. But whether we repent or not is a choice we have to make. It's a choice God gives us. Now, those that turn away from God when he calls for that decision to be made, you run the risk of future discipline. How many of you have ever had a kid like, like my son? And, and I spanked him one morning and got through, and he looked up at me and said, hey, that didn't hurt. 
Any of y'all ever have a kid like that? What happened after that? You're going to hurt. <laughs> Isn't that right? You had to be taught, right? So instead of using your hand, you got Teresa's baseball bat right over there. No. But, but when, you, when a person rejects discipline, you know what happens? There's more discipline that comes. Maybe a person the Bible teaches can go so far into their sin and refuse to, to repent and refuse to get their life right that the Bible says that the same Bible that teaches security of the believer also teaches there's a sin unto death. And God can call that person home early. But I think the greatest risk here is this. God can deal with a person. Maybe that person comes to church and, and they hear a sermon about it and God speaks to their heart about it and they say no again and again and again. And finally they run the risk of hardening their heart to the point that they no longer hear God. How many of you guys have been married so long now that your wife speaks to you and you're smiling, yes, but you're not hearing the word? Wives, how many of you married to somebody like that? Oh, raise your hand. You know, we can do God that way too. God's speaking to our hearts and God's trying to get through to us and God's trying to change us and God's trying to bless us. And we just turn a deaf ear. And finally, as God's speaking, we don't even hear him anymore. We just learn to tune him out. But for those that do turn back to God, they experience his cleansing. They experience his forgiveness and restoration. And we make the decision of whether or not we're on the Lord's side. That's the decision we make. But not only did they have a choice, but I want you to notice finally that Moses had a choice. Now Moses was the innocent party here. Had Moses made a golden calf? Had Moses participated in the, in the drunken party they had? No. He was innocent to all of this. But did you know he had a choice? He had a choice over whether he was going to hand Israel over to an angry God or whether he was going to intercede on their behalf. Now, Moses had that choice knowing that they had hurt him before. Israel wasn't the easiest group of people to pastor. On one occasion, back in Egypt, they were ready to stone him. On another occasion, when they stood before the Red Sea, they were going to elect another leader. When they got to the rivers of Marah, they began to complain and say, Moses, why have you let us out here to just let us die? And now God came to Moses and said, Moses, stand aside and I'll do away with them. You know how many pastors in America would have said, okay, Lord, it's about time. Moses didn't do that. Instead, Moses said, Lord, I know they've sinned. Here I am. Lord, if you want to kill somebody, just take me, but spare them. Now, folks, that's a heart of love for you people, amen. And you know, there are a lot of people around us today that are involved in sin, maybe out of the will of God in a way that we just, we, we wouldn't ever dream of doing. And our responsibility for them is to pray for them. Moses' intercession, listen, he saved a whole nation. Three million people were spared because God listened to one single person. 
And folks, with the, with the United States of America in the spiritual condition that she is in today, it calls not only just for one single person, I believe it calls for the entire church of God that's on this earth today to be offering up intercession on behalf of our sinful nation. And as we pray, we need to also, the Bible says, consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. Folks, there may be people out in this world today and you look at them and say, I'd never sin like that. No, but we have sinned. I'd never commit, I, I'd never get involved in, 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 in a drunken party like that. No, but if you had a gun and you were driving down the road, you'd shoot somebody. Especially when they pull in your parking spot. Come on, Amen. Some of you are smiling. I know that you're... Or, or you might say, well, I'd never, I, I, I'd never sin like that. Oh, maybe not, but you think about it. What did Jesus say? If you think in your heart. And so as we pray, we need to consider ourselves. And as we pray, we need to pray for these folks that they'll come to forgiveness, come to repentance, come to confession of sin. Folks, I, I, I've heard, you know what the Bible says? Let, let me just share something with you about the political landscape of our day. You know what the Bible says we're to do for the leaders of our nation? We're to pray for them. Does the Bible ever say that we're to criticize or run down the, the leader of our nation? No. The Bible says the exact opposite. It says honor the king. The Bible says, oh, it does say pay your taxes. It does say that, folks. But it also says we're to pray for the leaders of our nation. And so what we need to be doing in the day and age in which we're living in is if we see something, our leader, that we don't like, instead of making a fuss about it, why not get on our knees and say, Oh God, this leader is doing wrong. Would you lead them to realize they're wrong and lead them to repentance? Maybe we could see some different things happening if we did that. Because, folks, as we pray for people to come to repentance, we know that's in the will of God. Amen. And the Bible says whatever we pray is, that's in the will of God, we know we have it. That would lead us to pray expectantly. You know, these people hurt Moses but when they hurt God, but, but he didn't let his personal feelings keep him from praying for them. And as a result, the nation was saved. Now, those who didn't repent were judged. 3,000 of them fell. And later on, you, you find out that some more of them fell because they didn't repent. But those that chose to turn were forgiven and were cleansed. And that's really the choice that we all have today. Even when we sin, we can choose to experience God's wrath. We can choose to experience God's judgment. Or we can choose to experience His forgiveness and his cleansing. Isn't that what we would do with our kids? You ever caught your kids doing something wrong? Have you ever had a kid when you caught them doing wrong just get very contrite and humble? I'm sorry, I didn't mean... I, 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 I. Did you tear them up then? Boy, I, I tell you what, when my kids do that, just, it just melt my heart, wouldn't it, you? It's all right. I'm going to cry with you. It's all right. But what would happen? 
when you caught your kid doing something, they'd stomp their foot and say, I don't care what you do to me. Oh, yes, you will. And see, that's what it's like a lot of times in our relationship with God. We, we disobey God, we violate His Word, and we want to stomp our foot at God and say, God, I dare you to do something. He will. Or, or we can come to God and say, God, look, I, I'm wrong. I, I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you know what God does? He puts his arm around us and he weeps with us and he forgives us and he cleanses us and he gives us a new beginning. Folks, there are many here today. You may need a new beginning. God wants to give it to you if you'll come. If you'll just come and confess your sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.